Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Jason Creekmore and Shannon Deaton. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we are going to discuss sports scandals. Across from me is the man who was at the center of the backyard badminton scandal of 2004, <laughs> Shannon Deaton. Explain yourself, Shannon. Man, it was a, a warm summer evening. <laughs> I don't know how to play badminton. Now. <laughs> you were you were given twenty dollars to throw the game by a neighbor. I heard that's that right. Was, that was the rumor. Yeah, and it, it wasn't hard. I just basically showed up and uh, throw the game. I did because uh, I didn't know the rules. <laughs> I can throw games all day long. I mean, that you know, I always like when you're watching sports and you see like a, a, a kicker who's getting like a million dollars a year, like just really shank one. Right. And I always say, I can do that for half the price. You know, that's what I mean? right. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, not a problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> Over the last couple of decades, there have been many major sports cheating scandals, and today we are going to discuss some of the more recent ones. But before we begin, we have to acknowledge the most well-known sports scandal, at least from a uh, historical standpoint, perhaps of all time, and that would be the Chicago White Sox scandal of 1919. Shannon, have you ever heard of this? I don't think so. That sounds like a pretty old one, though. Pretty old ones. You know, actually, it's a little over 100 years old now. Basically, eight players from the Chicago White Sox uh, took bribes to throw the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. The most famous player of the eight was Shoeless Joe Jackson, who will forever be associated with this scandal. And Shannon, in doing a little research on this one, uh, one interesting fact that I discovered is that back then the teams played a best of nine games series. So the first team to win five games wins the series. You know, nowadays okay. it's, it's yeah. either three out of five or four out of seven right. you know, like in the World Series. But back then it was five out of nine. The deal was that the the, uh, the payoff would occur gradually right after each game. So obviously the White Sox t- to throw the series they would have to lose five games, right? right yeah. So they were promised uh, five thousand dollars a piece. These eight players were promised five thousand dollars a piece to throw the game, and the deal was that they would receive one thousand dollars after each game lost. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Kind of sounds a little Just weird. Just kind of paying them out over time. Uh, paying them out right. over time. That's a little weird. But that was that was the deal. So, uh, again, it was the best uh, five out of nine. So uh, the White Sox uh, got down four games to one. So they had lost four games. But they had not been paid. And so the people that were involved in this, they went to them and said, hey, we've lost four games. We should each have $4,000 now. <laughs> Did they say, well, uh, betting on games is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even know your name. <laughs> Who are you? So they decided to uh, turn the tables on the gambling syndicate, and they kind of told the people they were uh, sort of uh, in cahoots with, we're going to win because you're not paying us our money. And so you've had all this massive amount of money that you've bet it because you knew we were going to lose, and you're not paying us like you said you were, so we're going to win. So they go out, and they win game six. And then they go out and they win game seven. And meanwhile, they're just sitting there sweating, just sweating <laughs> it out, the other guys. So so now it's four games to three. Yeah. And that's when the death threats began. Oh. And so uh, <laughs> all, right. all eight players began uh, receiving death threats, threats on their families, 
that you better you better uh, you know come good on this and lose that fifth game, or there's going to be some massive problems. Although they were not getting the money at this point that they had illegally uh, right. been promised, and so they did. They lost they lost game eight, which kind of sounds weird in sports because you know it only goes seven games now, practically in any sport. Sure, but they lost game eight. Uh, and then soon after, an investigation occurred, and all the players involved in the scandal were banned from Major League Baseball for life. And that was really also the creation of the uh, position of, of the uh, commissioner of baseball. They basically appointed oh, okay. some, uh, someone yeah. to like just sort of single-handedly take control of the situation, right? And just you know unilaterally make any decisions that needed to be made to take care of it. And that's really kind of where that position developed was through was through this scandal. So that was the Chicago. White Sox in 1919 throwing the World Series. So adjusted for inflation today, $5,000 today would be roughly $78,000. So so $5,000 a year, 100 years ago would be about $78,000 today. But uh, to also put it in perspective, that would have uh, almost doubled their salaries on the wow. season. That's incredible, man. Yeah. Now, did you call that one at the beginning shoeless something? Shoeless Joe Jackson. He was like the best player on the team. And he was in uh, on it. And he still holds a World Series record. Yeah. And, oh. uh, yes, he was one of the eight. Yep. Wow. Now, any idea why shoeless Joe? I mean, why he's shoeless? Is he is he really shoeless? He, he probably shouldn't have been shoeless <laughs> after uh, the, the money that he may have received from the – I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know why they called him shoeless Joe Jacks. I guess that's a, maybe a topic for another podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> that's but he, he's, the, he's the, uh, the name that you hear most often. And there was also a movie made about this. I think it was called Eight Men Out. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So kind, kind of interesting. So – Obviously, that's 100 years ago. Fast forward 100 years later, and Major League Baseball is still battling a cheating scandal. The Houston Astros managed to pull off the most technologically yet primitive cheating scheme in sports history. In November of 2019, just a few months ago, four uh, former Astros players reported to the Atlantic, I'm sorry, the Athletic, which is a subscription-based sports reporting platform, that the Astros uh, had cheated during their 2017 World Series season and in 2018 when they again made the playoffs. So two extremely successful seasons. Right. Basically, the scandal revolved around an elaborate sign-stealing scheme. So, you know, when you're watching baseball you know, on TV, and most often the, the angle you have is sort of like from behind the pitcher, right? Yeah, you're just um, kind of staring straight down the plate there. Right. You're almost kind of like, like behind second base, sort of, right. is, is the, the vantage point most often. So what was happening, you know, the camp, those cameras are in center field uh, in, in actuality. And so what started uh, to occur is that they began to use this feed uh, like you know, national broadcasts, and they would have the ability to zoom in on the catcher, and that they began to have that feed basically, you know, ran through and, and show up on a monitor in the dugout, and with with it blown up. So they're they're literally looking right at the catcher's signals, a one, two, or right. you know, or whatever. Yeah. And so they would begin to be able to let the batters know, hey, fastball's coming, you know, and, and they would know just within two, two, three seconds before the pitch is coming. And how would they tell them that? Well, this, this was the great part. You know, so they have all this technology, right, that's, you know, that's beaming down from satellites, yeah. orbiting Earth, They could whatever. have done so many things here. Could have done a lot of stuff, right? Could have had a secret handshake. Electronic earpieces. Could have had a lot of things. No, this is the best part about it. They just beat a trash can to death. <laughs> Yeah, they did. <laughs> so, so sometimes the games. You know, now, every once in a while, they would whistle. 
and, I, and you can go on YouTube and, and hear yeah, some of those. We, we watched that. They would do like the, the like charge. charge. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but, and that worked oftentimes, but sometimes when the games were so loud and, and the crowd was so loud, and again, this was only at home games, the uh, players, you know, the batters couldn't hear. So they just began to have to just like a drum, like beat a metal garbage can, like with the with the bat with the bat in the dugout. So like I'm not sure exactly of the code, but like you know, one hit meant fastball, maybe two right. hits hit curveball, whatever it was. And so over time, people began to kind of pick up on that a little bit, yeah. but they they weren't quite sure. But uh, you know, ultimately, it was former players that that outed them, you know, on that uh, on that scheme. So and just to give you a, a little bit of an idea about the difference that that made. So I have some statistics here in regard to the 2017 playoffs. Okay, so there I think they played a total I think it was 18 games, I think, 16 or 18 games. Uh basically half half at home, half away. Right. So here are six of their better players. Uh here are their batting averages. Okay, so typically a batting average, you know, if, if you bat, you know, 280 at home, you're probably going to bat somewhere between 260 and 300 on the road, right? Sure. You're going to be 10 to 20 points one way or another yeah. on average. Okay, so uh, one player at home, he hit 472. Okay. On the road, 143. Significant difference. <laughs> yeah. I think if one were to run a uh, good old-fashioned T-test on that, <laughs> yeah, I think you'd see some differences on these. I, I think that, yeah, definitely. Uh, next player, 371 at home, 211 okay. on the road. Yeah. Next player, 273 at home, 154 on the road. All right. Next batter, now check this one out. 300 uh, at home, which it's solid. You know, if yeah. you're, you're 30% of the time, you're getting hit, right? Sure. On uh, on the road, 0.037, <laughs> which is like one hit more than, than I could get probably on the road. Man, uh, that's crazy. Here's one that actually was slightly reverse. This one batted 303 at home, 306 <laughs> on the road. Okay. Uh, and then the last one, 300 at home, 200 on the road. So what's going on with the guy who wasn't listening to the trash can signals? You think he's just trying to spot them all? <laughs> he, I'd say maybe he was just probably not a good hitter because, I mean, that, that tells me if you know what's coming and you still really aren't any, aren't any better than you are. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of uh, you know baseball you know people, uh, when you hear them talk about this scandal and just how significant this is, is that they basically explain it to where that information would turn a an average minor league player, okay, mm-hmm. someone that's not even in the major leagues, that information would turn a uh, an average minor league player into a major league all star. That that's that's the difference of just if you oh, know yeah. if you know the pitch that's coming, you're going to dra- your your average is drastically going to explode, and that's that's exactly you know, that's that's exactly what happened. And ultimately, so this this all started in November. Yeah. Uh, by January, people are being suspended and and fired and so forth. Uh, the general manager and the manager of the Houston Astros were both suspended by Major League Baseball for the 2020 season, uh, but they were soon. Uh, soon thereafter fired by the Astros team owner. So they were huh. first suspended by the league and then just days later uh, were fired by the fired. yeah, were yeah. fired by the Astros owner. Interestingly enough though, uh, the commissioner of baseball did not punish any player 
although they've admitted it. Right. They, they've multiple players have admitted to doing this. They said this. they did it. That, yeah, yeah. This is exactly what we did. I was the one that ran the coax cable. <laughs> you know, I was the one that bought the <laughs> right. trash can. I was the one, you know. So they, they've admitted this and uh, they did not strip them of the World Series title. They did not strip them of wins. They did not punish them in any way. Uh, they, the organization did get a $5 million fine. Which to them, I mean, is nothing. It's nothing. That's like a, yeah. a that's like a fifty dollars speeding ticket. You know, right. to like a normal person. You know, so I mean, that's really nothing. And and I think they did take away maybe some draft picks, like in future drafts or something. So, all the other teams in Major League Baseball are basically irate right now. I was going to say, do you have a sense for for how they apparently don't like it at all? Right, and this, absolutely this is not. A big deal. I mean, oh, yeah. Whenever you think about those batting averages that you were just talking about, I mean, that's the difference between you know a pitcher getting to sort of stay a lead pitcher and and maybe having to step out. I think for sure, with confidence, that this scandal costed people jobs. Yeah, there's there's no doubt it did. You know, there are some pitchers that probably would have stayed on the team right. that maybe would not have been traded, that would have not been demoted to the minor leagues, or maybe some managers for other teams. Yeah. Uh, so you're not just like cheating to win a game. Cheating will also have other you know, ripple effects. Sure. And honestly, this – this uh, this cheating is probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, probably I much mean, more than the five million yeah, that they were yeah, punished cause, for. Because you're you know you're uh, you know, literally cheating players, specifically pitchers. So all the other teams just going to shake this off, right? They don't care. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. I've seen a lot of memes on Facebook and stuff. It says you know uh, this is what's going to happen every time an Astros batter gets to the plate, and oh, no. you know, tw- and so I don't. I, that's going to be really really interesting because there'll either be like no fights or there'll be like a fight every week yeah. with, with the Astros because you can just kind of see the look on some of these opposing pitchers face like you know like I'm, I'm coming for you sure. you know and it's going to be interesting to see how Major League Baseball deals with that because you had this team that has cheated for for multiple years and now they're going to have to be protected you know <laughs> and so it, it's it's so weird and I have no idea really what's what's going to what's going to happen and I actually read a CNN article uh, today and uh, you know the 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 writer basically just said that the Houston Astros are now America's team for better or for worse based on what they did, and that people's going to uh-huh. be so intrigued the entire season, you know, the entire season yeah, long, just so. watching them, keeping an eye out, seeing what's going on. Yeah, man, I mean, just craziness. What's wild about that is is the buy in. You know, I always wonder when you hear about some of these major scandals whether or not everyone on the team participated. Surely everyone knew about it. Oh, everyone knew about it. You know, I don't think everyone participated. Actually, much like the Chicago White Sox scandal a yeah. hundred years later or earlier, uh, and I, I don't think everyone w- was in on that. But I think everyone knew it. Yeah, you know, that, that's how did you that's not? Great. How I mean, could you not? Yeah. I mean, there's a guy over here hammering a trash can. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> What's going on? Don't mind me. <laughs> I'm just going to smack this thing every time there's right before a pitch. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and another thing that's interesting about that is it's kind of difficult to protect against because you said they were just using the national feed, right? They they were seeing what anybody else yeah. could see. Yeah, that that's my understanding. And uh, they didn't necessarily set up a special video circuit or anything. It was just you know they were watching. They just the had actual. It, they just had it moved game. To- it played yeah, out. They just had it moved to the dugout where they could they could see and then kind of relay to the the garbage guy, <laughs> and then you know looks <laughs> right. like the catcher's holding a one and better you know better take care of that garbage can there. Right, it's crazy. Well, Shannon, what uh, scandal do you have up next for us? 
Jason, I have one called Deflate Gate. Uh oh. Now, have you heard of Deflate Gate? I have heard of this. I've kind of forgotten some of the details, but oh yeah, yeah it was a big deal at the time. Yeah, it sure was. So, Deflate Gate was an NFL controversy involving the allegation that New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady ordered the deflation of footballs used on the Patriots' victory against the Indianapolis Colts in the 2014 AFC championship game. Now, there was speculation prior to that, Jason, that some of that deflation was was occurring, but this is really when it came to a head. And one thing I asked myself whenever this first went live and, and became news was, well, what's the deal? You know, why does a deflated football actually matter? Yeah. You know, one way or the other, is that right. good or bad? And in fact, when I first heard about this, uh, knowing, you know, very little about the physics of throwing a football, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. of course, I've, I've thrown a few in the, in the backyard, but it's never, you know, it's it's just a little bit shy of the professional level. We'll say that. <laughs> it's close, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's in the ballpark. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, you know, when I first heard about it, I thought they were deflating the footballs in such a way to hinder the other team uh, from throwing harder. You right. know, that that was my – I thought, oh, they're deflating the footballs, you know, and they can't throw as far and that sort of thing. Right. But it was actually the opposite. Uh, you know, deflated footballs are a little bit easier to grasp. They're a little bit easier to palm. They're, they're a little bit easier to throw, and they're a little bit easier to catch. A little less – just a little less pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So they were softer. basically using that offensively, you know, in order to, to get the football, better palm on the football, a better spiral, and then just the uh, receiver on the other end just being able to, to catch that and have a little bit easier time, right? It's a little bit easier to grab a balloon than a bowling ball. Right, yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of the the thing there. So there were some consequences that came out as a result of this, and Jason, it went back and forth for a long time as to whether any consequences were going to occur. So the result here was that Brady was suspended for four games. Uh, The team was fined a million dollars and forfeited two draft selections in 2016. So just thinking about the rules themselves, they've been refined and revised a little bit since the controversy. But originally, uh, before the rules were revised, the official rules of the NFL required footballs to be inflated to a gauge pressure between 12 and a half and 13 and a half pounds per square inch or PSI when measured by the referees. The rules didn't specify the temperature at which the measurement had to be made. So that that's will become important here in just a little bit in the narrative. And that means that if a football was inflated to the minimum required PSI, which was 12 and a half pounds at room temperature, you know, the football could deflate to below the minimum requirement if it is colder on the field. This is a scientific principle called the pressure temperature law, and you've probably observed it in your car tires, as I did recently. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> you know? which, which I'm sure happens a lot in New England. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, this all came to a head at the AFC Championship in 2014, and uh, the season, uh, the 2014 game was played at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts, home of the Patriots, and they hosted the Colts. Uh, the winning team would advance to play in the Super Bowl, so this was high stakes. Oh, yeah. Now, there were again, there was speculation previous to this that there might have been some deflating occurring in order to enhance uh, you know, the Patriots game a little bit, but this is when it really mattered. You know, people people really care about going to the Super Bowl for some reason. You know, it's it's a big deal. <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> uh, so prior to the game, the Colts did notify the NFL that they suspected the Patriots were underinflating the balls, but they couldn't provide any specific information. By halftime, and the score at halftime was I think seventeen to seven with the Patriots leading. The Colts started to provide a little more information <laughs> at that time. <laughs> Imagine you know? that. Imagine that. 
So at halftime, the NFL officials inspected the footballs, and it was originally incorrectly stated by a former NFL referee that 11 of the 12 balls used by the Patriots were measured to be two pounds per square inch below the minimum amount. So the way this works is that each team has, um, you know, 12 playing balls, you know, that they, they're responsible for using during their offense. And usually the other team doesn't touch the, the footballs of the uh, offensive team unless they intercept a pass or something like right. that. But yeah. as soon as they get ready to reset the play, they'll bring out their own football right. and, you know, kind of play with that. But it was later revealed that five of 11 balls, not 12, because one of them actually disappeared. Oh, gosh. That's <laughs> part of all of this. So there were only 11 that they were able to measure after the fact, but uh, five of those were below the uh, the required amount of pounds. One of them was significantly below. It was, you know, two pounds or more. The others were reported to be, quote, a few ticks below. A few ticks. <laughs> that was the exact language of the report. I would imagine that the uh, the missing one was like a pancake. <laughs> It's like, it's like a frisbee. <laughs> oh, I can't even guess. Now, the balls were reinflated at halftime, and they got reintroduced into the game. No issues were raised on the pressure of the footballs in the second half, and the Patriots again led the Colts uh, 17-7 to at halftime. And in the second half, after they reinflated the footballs, the Patriots scored 28 more points for a final score of 45-7. to Blew them out. They blew them out just completely. You know, they were at seven at halftime. They finished the game at seven, and and really it seemed like, you know, even reinflating the balls didn't, right. didn't do a whole lot. So the NFL launched into an investigation once all of this came to light, and the report was released in May of 2015. Uh, on January 22nd, Patriots head coach Bill Belichick indicated that he did not know anything about the balls being underinflated until the day after the event. He kind of passed the buck a little bit. Uh, on this whole thing. And, and here's a quote that uh, he came out it with in a statement. And, and notice just kind of the subtle passing of the buck <laughs> in terms of the deflation here. Uh, so the coach said, quote, When I came in Monday morning, I was shocked to hear about the news reports about the footballs. I had no knowledge of the situation until Monday morning. I think we all know that quarterbacks, kickers, and specialists have certain preferences on the footballs. They know a lot more than I do. They're a lot more sensitive to it than I am. I hear them comment on it from time to time, but I can tell you, and they will tell you, that there's never any sympathy whatsoever from me on the subject. Zero. Tom's personal preferences on his footballs are something that he can talk about in much better details and information than I could possibly provide. Well, I don't <laughs> even know who my, I don't know what my name is. Yeah, Tom Brady who? What, what are you talking am about? Am I the coach? What's football? <laughs> are these English words That's coming right. out of my mouth? Yeah. Have you ever listened to a, to a uh, Bill Belichick uh, like uh, press conference or interview very much? Or Not anything? very much, no. Interesting personality. Is he? Yeah, he's very straightforward. <laughs> now, I'm not a huge football person, but yeah. the flake gate was definitely on my radar. Yeah. It's just everywhere. Well, I mean, man. I mean, obviously, Bill, you know, Belichick's one of the best coaches ever. I mean, his, the sure. record he's oh, had. Oh, the record's the, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Un, he's unbelievably uh, su- successful. Uh, but every time that he speaks, it's like that. this is like the, the worst thing on planet Earth is talking <laughs> to these people right now. It's like he would rather do anything. He just hates it. That, I mean, yeah. I mean, you just have to go and just you know watch. I mean, over the years, it's just the same thing. It's like his eyes are just sort of half open. He's like, oh, right. I don't worry about it. And he sort of mumbles. He's all the time wearing a hoodie, you know, yeah. or something. It's like he just would rather be any place other than – I mean, some of his words are almost inaudible. He just sort of mumbles all the time, <laughs> you know, never facial expressions. Oh, that's great. He's sort of a unique character. <laughs> 
So on January 27th, an anonymous league source stated that the investigation was focusing on a Patriots locker room attendant who was seen on surveillance video taking the 24 game balls, 12 from each team, into a restroom for approximately 90 seconds. <laughs> so, so Jason, scapegoat. What? Yeah, scapegoat. What? What can happen in ninety seconds to, to twenty-four game balls? Do you, do you think they can be deflated that I'd, quickly? Or? I'd say, yeah. I'd I mean, say, what else is going on? Why are they going in the restroom? <laughs> And all of a sudden, nope, okay, we're good to go. That's right. So, so crazy. So on May 11, 2015, the NFL announced that Tom Brady was suspended without pay for four games of the upcoming season uh, for his involvement based on, quote, substantial and credible evidence, end quote, that Brady knew Patriots employees were deflating footballs and that he failed to cooperate with investigators. So kind of interesting. On September 3rd, 2015, a judge in the district court threw out Brady's suspension. So this is kind of where it goes back and forth a little bit. You're suspended. Well, no, you're not. You're suspended. Well, no, you're not. And it it just kind of rocks back and forth uh, on those decisions for a while. But in 2015, uh, a judge threw it out on the grounds of a lack of fair due process for Brady. And the NFL indicated that they would uh, appeal the decision, and appeal they did. On April 25, 2016, the Second Circuit Court reinstated Brady's four-game suspension. Now, following this, the NFL realized they they had a slight problem, Jason, and and they really – couldn't tell a lot of the investigators or, or the officials or anyone who was looking into this what any of those uh, pregame weights uh, were for the football. So they just simply didn't record that. Right. Apparently it hadn't been a, a big deal or an issue up to that point. The NFL Rules Committee changed the rules, uh, which involved the uh, different inspection rules for the 24,960 footballs used during the season. And uh, the rule became that two hours and 15 minutes prior to kickoff, both teams will be required to bring the 24 footballs, 12 primary and 12 backups, to the official locker room for inspection. Two game officials will conduct the inspection and record the PSI measurement of each football. And any game ball within the allowable range of 12.5 to 13.5 PSI will be approved. Any game ball that falls outside the range will be altered to comply with the minimum inflation PSI. So they changed the game of football just a little bit as a result. If only the FDA cared about that much about people that's right as the officials cared about those footballs yeah, in the nfl man. <laughs> any fruit loop that is found to uh you know have more than the minimum amount of uh, sugar will be <laughs> be barred that's right that's right so jason it's it's not just players that sometimes alter the outcomes of games or are involved in some shady business what can you tell us about referees that might also participate I in can, some of these scandals yeah unfortunately there was one does uh, it happen yeah it does happen on on occasion. Our our next scandal involves the NBA, and more specifically, an NBA official, Tim Donahue. Donahue resigned from the NBA in July of 2007 and pled guilty to two federal charges in August and was sentenced to 15 months in federal prison. So you're thinking, like, goodness, you know, this is, he's just, a, you know, he's an NBA official. Yeah. It's a good job. I mean, what could he possibly What did he do? He killed a guy in the court he, right uh, in front of the, a live audience. No, start, <laughs> started to influence games. Oh. And guess what? Gambling was involved. The maximum of all crimes. That's, there you go. Yep. The FBI investigated Donahue after being tipped off 
about him uh, placing bets on games and providing inside information and conversations about upcoming games, including two playoff games specifically uh, involving the Phoenix Suns. Uh, one of those, they played the Los Angeles Lakers, and then the other, they played the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, the official received uh, roughly $30,000 from bookies during this process, and that that number did not include his own personal betting. And so uh, he was he started to influence games. You know, and in basketball, it's one of those things where you don't have to call you know eight or ten calls to really influence it. You know, you have a really good player get two quick fouls. Yeah. And then you've really influenced that's a big the game. Deal. Yeah. That's, that's a massive. That's, huge. that's a massive deal. And and you know and there there are a lot of fifty fifty calls in basketball anyway. I mean you know especially the 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 block charge call right when someone's going in it's either an offensive foul right. it's a charge or it's a defensive foul and a lot of times those again are fifty fifty. Well, if those are fifty fifty, then he could call them one way. Every time, and no one no probably probably notice. No, there there's other calls that you could do, you know, and and make that you could probably get away with a little bit. And so he began to influence games, and he began to let bookies know about officials that were being assigned to certain NBA games before anyone else had announced it. So people were placing bets because. For whatever reason, they knew that this referee really did not like this coach huh. or this referee uh, had a tendency to call a lot of fouls. This yeah. one had a tendency to not call a lot of fouls. It's interesting that you can base the outcomes of games just on the, the ref and the personality of the ref yeah. themselves, right? Yeah, there's – I mean, to to a large degree, yeah. I mean, and especially, I mean, if you're on the take. I mean, if you're being, yeah. if you're being paid money to influence these games – you know that's that's sad. I mean, even at the NBA level, I mean, it's it's atrocious at the college level or or below that. But at, at the NBA you know, level, I know they're professionals and uh, and all that. But it's still just really sad. I mean, just unfortunate that uh, because you you have to have a great deal of trust in these officials. I yeah. mean, because they're they're protectors of the game, that's right? right? I mean, they're yeah. supposed to do the right thing. And then when it's proven that there's at least one uh, that for a number number of games uh, influenced it, you know, just for financial. Uh, purposes, you know, that's sure. that's kind of, uh, you know, scary. It's one of those things just like uh, we were talking about previously, just, you yeah. know, just, just a few games changing the results of those can dramatically impact player salaries, uh, yeah. whether or not, you know, they're, they're an average in person in New Jersey, yeah. in Las Vegas. I that's mean, right. just people that's placing bets that don't even know anything about this insider, almost like insider trading type stuff going on, right. you know. So, you know, you're affecting, you know, hundreds, probably thousands of people that you don't even know. Yeah. Donahue, you know, he actually made almost $600,000 in four years. I mean, he was making a pretty good salary, and especially when you think that the NBA season does not go on the entire year. It's basically October through, like, June. Yeah, it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. So yeah, you know, over the course of four years, for about three fourths of a year's work. That's right. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you know, he was making a, a really good salary, but uh, you know, just uh, just got greedy, but actually ended up going to to, to federal prison, Man. you know, for it. So that's that's hard to believe, but uh, that was the case. That's wild. Yeah. yeah, crazy. Shannon, tell me what you know about steroids. <laughs> Well, Jason, I will do just that. Now, you know, in terms of steroids and professional sports, it's been acknowledged for a long time that it's been a problem, at least since the 1960s is when a lot of this came to prominence. Nearly all athletic-based professional sports have had claims of steroid abuse at some point. Football, baseball, boxing, cycling, swimming, you name it. I mean, if it's a sport that requires one human, (laughs) to outperform another in a physical competition, 
there have been accusations of unfair steroid use. <laughs> Somebody's getting juiced up. That's right. Uh, you know, now, now there are several types of performance-enhancing drugs, uh, including anabolic steroids, stimulants, and human growth hormone. And just to kind of define these, anabolic steroids are natural and synthetic substances which help build muscle mass, enabling athletes to train harder and recover quickly from strenuous workouts. So a little bit of an unfair advantage there biologically. The second type is stimulants, which includes amphetamines. Uh, it impacts the central nervous system, increasing alertness and decreasing appetite. So, you know, you're much more alert to the events going on and you're not quite as hungry, you know, <laughs> so you can, you know, uh, those workouts last a bit longer. Human growth hormone is taken for improved endurance and also has been known to increase strength. So these are some of the ones that have been most noted throughout sports history. Now, here's a quick timeline of some events that have happened related to steroid use in professional sports. In 1967, the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, establishes a medical commission in response to an increase in the usage of performance-enhancing substances. 20 years later, in 1987, the NFL begins uh, testing players for steroids. A year later, in 1988, the U.S. Congress passes the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which makes possession and distribution of anabolic steroids for non-medical purposes a crime. So just a year after the NFL started started testing folks, it becomes a, becomes a crime. Two years after that, in 1990, Congress strengthens the 1988 law by classifying anabolic steroids as a controlled substance. In 2003, Major League Baseball begins testing players for steroids. This came a little bit late, I feel. You know, 2003, <laughs> that's that's not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, steroids have been around for a little while. A little while, yeah. In 2005, six former and current M- MLB players testified before the House Government Reform Committee about drugs in baseball. And those players included Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and Jose Canseco. In 2006, the MLB commissioner announces an investigation into steroid use among pro baseball players. Again, probably coming a little bit late, I think, uh, as we'll find. Uh, In 2007, the Mitchell Report is released, which names MLB players Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Andy Pettit as steroid users. So, you know, it's... uh, it's running rampant, Jason. I kind of I wonder what their first uh, you know clue was. Like was it maybe like people ballooning from like one eighty to two eighty, and that looked like they'd been just from their rookie you know, year to yeah. you know a few years later like chiseled out a piece of lead or, <laughs> or something. You no, know, maybe maybe something's going on there. Yeah, pro- probably something. Uh, by two thousand nine, Alex Rodriguez admits to using performance enhancing drugs while playing for the Texas Rangers. And in 2010, Mark McGuire admits to using steroids during his career. So, Jason, we, we kind of put out a poll uh, here, and there, there have been some ethical considerations around steroids for a very long time. But without providing any context on the poll, on social media, we just sent out the question, should the following players be accepted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame? Those players were Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, A-Rod, and Jose Canseco. And the results came back to us, and 69% of responders said, yeah, they should be allowed in the Hall of Fame. 31% said, 
no, they shouldn't be allowed in the Hall of Fame. So we didn't give any context here, but Jason, what's the what's the magical connection between these uh, players here? The juice, Shannon. <laughs> the juice. That's I'd, right. I'd say they've all been associated with with steroids, you know, at, at some point. You know, yeah. and it's really interesting because obviously when you see that list, and that's immediately what pops off, you know, in in, in my mind. Right. And but there are some people who just don't care. Like, yeah. you know, that they basically just say, you know, the steroids helped him hit it 520 feet. He still would have hit it 490 without them. Yeah. And and that would have still cleared the fence. You know, yeah. so some yeah. people have that argument. Uh, and, and honestly, some people really don't care. I mean, they, they kind of see like the, the what the Astros did and, or taking bets and bribes. You know, that that's cheating. But with this, I think some people really believe that's just if that's your body. If that's what you want to do, do it's it. It's just okay. And, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people don't care. And then, of course, you have the opposite. You have a lot of people saying, no, that's that was banned. They did it. Uh, and then, but people say, but how can you not? I mean, how can you just ignore, you know, Barry Bonds, you know, right. for instance? I mean, you know, and I mean, I remember the, 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 the famous summer where Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa was in the home run competition. That was huge. Yeah. Big deal. Brought, oh, brought so much. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, yeah. In terms of attention to MLB that hadn't yeah. been there for a while. And I think that's probably about the time some other attention started to be kind of placed on it, you <laughs> I think know, because so. yeah. I mean the, the the amount of home runs, you know, no one had really even got relatively close to the previous home run mark. I want to say it was like sixty one for some reason, and I, I may be wrong, but I think it was like sixty one before people started to break it. Like, I mean, like it seems like it was just every two or three years people were like close or breaking it. And prior to that, I mean, it was long, long time before anybody even got close, sure. you know, close to it's it. It's like what changed? Yeah, <laughs> what's different? Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've got a feeling because if you see the neck sizes of some of these guys from oh, their man. rookie year to That's the wild. to yeah. the end of the year, you know, yeah. So I mean, it doesn't surprise me that you know there are people that feel like they should they should belong in the Hall of Fame, yeah. uh, and and you know some don't. So it's it's kind of an interesting situation. So those who are against steroids say that steroids enhance the performance of the individuals, which is undoubtedly true. It happens, giving them an unfair advantage over others in the competition. So someone who would say, no, you know, we we shouldn't have steroid use, obviously. It's illegal. It's something that they shouldn't do uh, because it's going to give them an advantage, just, right. just a biological advantage. But there are some who are for allowing it, just like you mentioned. Uh, sports competitions are about seeing the best players in the world compete at near superhuman levels. Yeah. And some say that steroids should be legalized to, to truly level the playing field. So if everyone is superhuman, then everything is fair. And, it, right. you know, and some would say, oh, it provides a much more interesting competition, you know. But the, the offshoot to that, Jason, is there are several health risks associated with uh, abuse of steroids. There's an increased risk of liver, kidney, prostate cancer, high blood pressure, which could lead to stroke and heart attack, as well as abnormal cholesterol levels. So, you know, the, the argument could be made that, yeah, legalize it, then everyone can use it. But I think it's not a far stretch from there to say, well, now I have to use it in order yeah. to compete. You know, yeah. so people who otherwise wouldn't use it at all, it, you know, is going to by default sort of make them have to if they want to compete at oh, that yeah, same I'm sure. sort yeah. of superhuman level that, that yeah. others are. So it's an interesting debate. You know, there's there's a lot of ethics on both sides and, and a lot of discussion around if they performed at this level with the steroids and, you know, they, they beat all of these records and things. Yeah, of course. Then let them into the Hall of Fame because they at the end of the day did that with their own body. 
Right. right? Yeah. It, right. It's still their body. It's still them. Yeah. Yeah. And but I, I can also see the the other side of the debate that says, well, it wasn't fair to the people who initially set those records. You know, that wasn't using any sort of enhancement in order to to perform like a superhuman. Right. Yeah. Right? So, Jason, the, you know, sports scandals is, is always interesting. It's something that's always in the, the national eye and, and national attention just because that's what sports are. You know, they're, they're sort of a stage and people compete on that stage. They're very much in the public view at all times. And it's really interesting when, when someone sort of messes up or drops the ball, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it, it's on TV, it's on social media. I mean, I, I'm a big college basketball guy, or just a big basketball guy in general. But I really, particularly like college basketball. You know, like college football, baseball, still kind of America's pastime. Yeah. You know, me personally, I would, I would rather watch basketball or football. But baseball is extremely appealing. You know, sure. to, to a lot of people. And so, you know, sports are on, and and other sports. You know, obviously, but uh, it's very much just a, a, an integral part of of American culture. You know, it really is. And so it's going to have a microscope on it. It is. Yeah. Uh, you know, anything, any kind of decision or any kind of controversial issue dealing with sports is going to be talked about, debated about. You know, there there are entire you know podcasts that are dedicated to talking about what eighteen and nineteen year old college or high school kids are going to you know go and what colleges are going to go sure. to for basketball. Yeah. That's the whole topic. That's just that's all they talk. That's about. all they talk yeah. about. You know, and there's and, plenty of material, plenty of interest. Oh yeah, and you know, and you know, it's a very you you know, sort of small sect of people that they kind of really dive and in, dive into that and and follow that. But I mean, but regardless, you know, sports is just everywhere. It's extremely popular. I think it's really only getting popular, you know, more popular. And so, when issues like steroids and and cheating and, and these scandals, uh, when when they come up, they're going to be even more well known. Uh, because of you know social media, all the media attention, television, everybody's talking about it, and so you know some things that maybe would not have necessarily been in the limelight maybe twenty and thirty years ago. Now they people know about it within hours. Yeah, you know it after, after it happens. Lost. Yeah, so uh, you know hopefully some of these you know sporting organizations they will clean some of this stuff up. I mean I don't guess it can ever be perfect. You know you could always potentially pay someone off. You could always have a player taking some kind of illegal drug and running the risk of getting caught or whatever, you know, so you know, there is no guarantee, you know, you can't necessarily legislate morality, you know, right. all at all times. I think sports, you know, sports folks need to understand that their decisions are going to be scrutinized pretty much immediately Yeah, <laughs> with, I, I what, with whatever they do, right almost that. as much as like politics, you know, on, on oh, TV yeah. or something. So J- just as much. Yep. So, Jason, that's all the material I have for this particular episode. Anything else uh, from you? Nope, none for me. I think you've helped me uh, make up my mind. I, I had thought about juicing for a for a, a uh, an upcoming five k. So, what's the verdict? Oh, I thought you were going to say uh, for, for an upcoming podcast episode. I, I thought I'd just man, be that'd across be, from be a heck of a podcast. You'd be energized. <laughs> Veins bulging at the neck, you know, <laughs> ready to go. Yeah, uh, I thought about trying to beat my my you know just world breaking time of like an hour and twenty five minutes for a five k. I was going to try yeah. to get in under an hour. Okay, but uh, I think yeah, I I I am who I am. You are who you are. That's right. So yeah, I think I'll say no to the steroids and maybe just yes to the sausage biscuits. <laughs> Good for you, man. Good for you. So thanks to all of our listeners who are joining us each week. We encourage you to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook. Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at SlapdashPod. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care, everyone.